services, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and then Monday through Wednesday, 7 o'clock each evening. And so we look forward to hearing uh, from him during all those times. And we want to turn things right over to him so he can have the full use of Sunday school hours. So Matt, you go ahead and come on. And I uh, want to thank you all for praying for Joyce and I while we were away. We got a quick getaway in uh, this last week, got back yesterday. And um, just pray for Joyce this week as she has her surgery on Tuesday. And um, just pray that that'll go well. We appreciate your prayers. Go to the book of Job, if you would. Open your Bibles to the book of Job and chapter 1. Book of Job in chapter 1. I'm looking forward to these services here with you. I hope you are as well. And uh, I've got, um, you'll uh, hopefully get to meet, some of you already met my wife and my boys. Um, they were here a little early. I was out in California for um, a few days out preaching at a church out there, a, a youth rally on Saturday and then a Sunday through Wednesday. So maybe you met my wife and boys. Um, if you haven't, you will. At least you'll meet um, one, of, one of my kids. He'll probably be arrested. By the time the week's over, you say, oh, you got a rebel? Yeah, he's almost four, so he is, uh, he's going to get himself arrested soon. Um, we just had um, um, a little thing. He, we almost had the fire department here. You could have come in with the fire department. And uh, so he found the, your, um, your uh, fire pool things are at a great level for four-year-olds. And so we almost had uh, the fire department here, which uh, I don't know, may not be as bad as um, on Friday. We went to the Marine Museum and... Um, you know, you uh, you just uh, if you you have to do your blinks really fast, otherwise you'll miss something. And so apparently, I blinked a little too long. And uh, Sammy was over. He found the um, uh, we were by the Iwo Jima flag, and they had um, and the lady was down there giving information. And her walkie-talkie was over to the side, and that's all you have to do. And you can get security to your location right away. <laughs> We do now, <laughs> uh, because he pushed a button and immediately coming through the walkie-talkie is, you know, security requested at the Iwo Jima flag right away, security. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So, uh, so she called and said, oh, it was a mistake, you know, and so, um, yeah, so you'll meet Samuel at some point. I'm sure there'll be some kind of, you know, siren playing in here. If you see a siren, we're okay. It's probably just um, my kid, okay? All right, but uh, so that's uh, so that's us, and um, uh, we're we're thankful to be here and uh, to get to bring the word of God to you in these days. I hope you're making plans um, to be here as often as you can, and uh, just let God speak to your heart and uh, change you in every way that He wants to change you. Okay, all right. So let's jump in in the book of Job and chapter number one. Now we're going to spend we'll spend a little time here um, bouncing around. So just keep your uh, just keep your Bible open uh, here as we look at uh, as we look at God's Word because we'll be uh, going through a lot of different verses here in probably what is a familiar book. You know, um, you turn to the sometimes uh, you know if you say uh, turn to the book of uh, yeah I don't know. Um, um, First Kings. You don't know exactly what we might be talking about that morning, but um, you know, when someone says turn to the book of Job, usually you have a pretty good idea of where we're going and what's going to be talked about in God's Word. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and uh, to Job chapter 1 and verse number 1. And I want to take uh, one of the things about Sunday school I found is that um, adults, you know, adults are, uh, you know, there are many adults. I don't know if you um, have noticed this, but as you walk through life, there are a lot of adults, uh, adults that all they are is they are simply, um, they are kids that got shoved into an adult body and they still have not grown up, okay? And if you don't believe that, you need to work retail, okay? Because they walk around all the time. They live and breathe among us. People who are, they're really just children, but they're in adult bodies and, uh, and they, um, they cry a lot. You know, they complain when they don't get their way. And um, so, that, so you know what is, um, 
Why, where was I going with that? Um, I, oh, wow. I, I forget where I was uh, even going to go with that. But, um, okay, so we're going to hear, wow, the book, of, uh, the book of Job. I forget what I was, where I was going with that. My brain's all over the place because we just about had the fire department here this morning. So, um, so uh, we're, oh, oh, is that, uh, is that we as adults, we love stories. That's where I was going. Adults love stories too. Adults love Bible stories. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here in Sunday school this morning. So Job chapter one and verse number one says this. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz, not Oz, <laughs> the land of Uz, whose, it says whose name was Job. Look at this, guys. Look at what the Bible says. Before we even, like, we usually jump right to, um, you know, his story. Look at what it says about Job. It says, that man was perfect. Whoa. Now, obviously, we know all men are sinners, okay? So it's not saying that he never sinned, but this is his testimony. What, what a great thing to have the Bible record about you. Job was a perfect man. In other words, he was an extremely godly man. It says, it says he was perfect and he was upright. It says he was one that feared God and eschewed evil. The word eschewed there means to hate evil. So he was a, a godly man. He cared much about, about serving the Lord and doing right. And it says he feared God and he hated evil. All right, so look at verse number two. It says, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Okay, so he has ten children. Uh, now for some of you, you might say, well, you know, you might say, well, it's a lot of kids. And others of you say, that's normal, isn't it? How many of you came, anyone come from a 10 or more family? 10 or more, okay. My pastor, when I was in college, he had nine. And so it was, we were just used to the noise, you know, just everybody running around. And uh, the most I've ever seen is um, 14. Now at 14, that got to be, that was a, that was a lot of folks, a lot of, a lot of kids running around. But, um, uh, but yeah, so he has 10. And you know what's interesting is back in Bible times, you know, a lot of times they'd have more than, you know, husbands would have more than one wife. Uh, but as far as we know, he just had one wife. And so one wife and 10 children. And it's it says his verse number three tells us about his substance now that word substance is a word that simply means uh it's a word that means his inheritance or not uh, sometimes used for inheritance or you might say uh his assets or everything he owned if you could compile you know at uh, maybe tax time they want to know about all of your assets and if you add it up together how much would it be worth that's that word substance and the word here verse number three says his substance also was look at what he owned it says he owned seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred she asses, the, the donkeys, and it says, and a very great household. You say, that sounds like a lot of livestock. Was he was he wealthy or was he really wealthy? Okay, so here's something I learned later on is that uh, it says there that he had three thousand camels. You know that um, as I was reading, uh, having a camel was a luxury. In fact, rich people only had camels. And if you had one, I want you to think of um, what would be your favorite um, car. What would be your favorite ride? If you had, uh, if you could have any kind of vehicle that you wanted, what would you pick? And that would be the that would be the equivalent. If you had a brand new of whatever um, vehicle that you wanted to have, that would be the equivalent of owning a camel. You know, usually when we start thinking about vehicles we want to own, uh, you know, uh, of like a dream vehicle, usually they're all at least over a hundred thousand. Most of them are over two hundred thousand dollars. If you were to think of your dream car, that would be the idea of owning a camel back in Bible times. And the Bible says he had 3,000. 
you know, would you, um, would you think it's kind of excessive? Even for a rich guy, you go in, he says, oh yeah, this is my parking lot. These are all my cars. I just pick which one I want to drive. I got 3,000 out there of the ones I want to buy. Usually the cheapest one is $200,000. You would think, sir, you know, money's cool, but even that seems excessive, you know? Like you can't even drive all these cars in like six, it would take like six years if you drove a different one every day or something like that. I don't know how, it would take way longer than that. Uh, it would take years for you to even drive every one of these cars. Why would you have that many? But this is how wealthy he was. In fact, verse number three says, so that this man was, and it says he had a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. What a title for, you know, the Middle East. That's a place where we know people sometimes have a lot of money that live there. There's a few people that have a lot of money that live in the Middle East. And the Bible says that in Job's time, he was the greatest, the wealthiest, the mostest, famousest of all the men who lived in the Middle East. Whoa. Now do you get a flavor of who Job is, which is interesting because the wealthiest man in the East was also a Christian. It says, uh, tells us about his relationship with God. Verse four then tells us that he was also, he was a good dad. Verse four says, and his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day. And they sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all for job said it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed god in their hearts thus did job continually so he made sure job made sure that worship that um confession of sins was um was important not just in his life but in his children's lives as well so here's job a godly man has 10 children very wealthy and apparently is a good dad as well the bible says then that what you know what happens with this man job well Verse number six says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now you might say, well, who exactly are the sons of God? You know, usually we think, oh, well, you know, sons of God, well, that must be talking about Christians, you know, people who have passed on to glory, you know, are those talking about believers? Well, more than likely not, because actually... The book of Job is written kind of in the patriarch time. Some say even pre-patriarch. Some say Job may have been older than Abraham, okay? So this, was, uh, this book goes back a long time ago. And when the reference here is to sons of God, more than likely it's not talking about Christians who have passed on. More than likely it's talking about actual like angelic beings, okay? Think, um, think angels. Think demons. You say, why would you say, uh, why would you say that, that it's angels and demons? Because the Bible is about to say that in the midst of this group of the sons of God that came up, Satan is going to come up among them. We know Satan is not, he's not a Christian, he's not a believer. And so Satan is included in this group. And so this is more than likely just a reference to angelic beings. So it says that there came a day when these, these angelic beings came to present themselves before the Lord. You know, um, we don't, we don't know all of what happens or even how often this happens. Just, it just says there was a day when this happened and we really don't know a whole lot, but we do know this is that even the angelic beings, they are under the control of God. They are not out of control. They're not running wild and doing whatever they want. They too are under the sovereign hand of God. And verse number six says that Satan came also among them. Verse seven says, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? In other words, 
Give a report. You know, all the other angels are here to give a report. God says to Satan, give me a report. Where have you been? And Satan answered the Lord and said, notice this. Satan said, uh, where's he been? He said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. You know what that answer really is? It's really a sarcastic answer. It's, you know, God says, Satan, I want you to have a, give me a report. Where have you been? You know, it's kind of like how God asked Adam, where are you? You know, it's not because God was confused trying to figure out where in the world he was. It's simply, it's simply God wanted Adam, God wanted Satan to speak for themselves. And it's almost like Satan knew, God, you know where I've been. I've been walking up and down on the planet. Where do you think I've been? And so it's really kind of a sarcastic answer. God ignores it in verse number eight. The Lord said unto Satan, notice this, has thou considered my servant Job? The word considered there means, it's the idea of, you ever thought about Job? Have you ever given any consideration to this man? He says, why? He says that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth or hateth evil. So God says to Satan, you know, do you know, do you even know who Job is? Because he's like the most godly person out there. It's almost, now the thing of it is, is that Satan knows who Job is. And it, so it's sort of a, um, it's sort of a little bit of an interesting conversation as God says to Satan, you know, do you, do you even know who Job is? Yeah, he's a, he's a perfect man. He's upright. He fears God. He hates evil. It's almost like God is saying to Satan, so um, how's it been going trying to tempt my servant Job? Because God knew Job's been very godly. And really what Job had done in these past days is Job had brought a lot of glory to God because God was in, in, these, in this meeting with, the, with the, um, the angelic beings. God is in essence able to receive much glory because he could say, hey, Satan, if you have been trying to you know, tempt my servant Job because he's been pleasing me, he's been uh, godly before me, he's been glorifying me. And so the Bible says, Satan answered, verse number nine, answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, Satan says, you know, there's kind of a reason why Job serves you. He, as Satan says, verse 10, Hast thou not made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. So, so Satan says, well, it's no wonder Job serves you. It's because you've given him money, you've given him stuff, you've given him properties, you've given him assets. And Satan said, verse 11, but put forth thine hand now, Touch all that he hath, he said, and he will curse thee to thy face. So Satan says, oh, yeah. Uh, he says, you know, the reason why Job serves you is because you give him money, is because you give him property and assets. In other words, Satan was saying, Job's Christianity is fake. Just let me take all the stuff away. And Satan said, he'll curse you to your, to your face. And God said, fine, go ahead. Test my servant Job, verse 12 says, and that the Lord said this, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power only, upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So God says, yes, you may touch all that he has, and we're gonna, you are going to see, Satan, that Job fears me simply because 
He loves me. Take anything you, you want from him, only do not touch his life himself. And so, what happens? Well, Job, uh, the Bible says that Satan goes forth from the presence of the Lord. And verse number 13, all the way down through verse 19, tells us about the events of that day. And uh, in, this, in this event, I almost imagine that Job is, um, you can almost imagine, he's in his big tent, and he's um, sitting at his desk, and you know he's got his laptop going, and he's got you know, servants coming and going. He's answering the phone call, sending texts to world leaders and all that kind of stuff. And uh, because he's so wealthy, he's so important, then all of a sudden the Bible says that a servant rushes in and says in verse number 14 that the oxen were plowing and the, the donkeys were feeding beside them. He said the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away and they've slain all their servants with the edge of the sword. And he said, I'm only the one escaped alone to tell thee. So he has someone come in and, and rushes in and says, hey, <coughs> Job, your oxen, your cattle, they've all been stolen. The Sabaeans came out of nowhere, slaughtered all of your servants, which by the way, that was going to be a pretty big crowd of people to have to kill because, you know, when you're this wealthy and have this much livestock, you need a lot of servants to make life work. And so he says, your servants were destroyed and, and I'm the only one that escaped alive to tell you this. And while, the Bible says, while this servant was telling about the cattle being destroyed, the Bible says in verse number 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God has fallen from the heavens and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consume them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 17 says, While he was yet speaking, there came another one, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and they fell upon the camels. Not the camels. <laughs> it says, And he carried them away. You know, they didn't kill them. They carried them away. They wanted, you know, the fancy cars. They wanted the camels. And it says, They carried them away, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And so you can imagine Job trying to sit at his desk, trying to finish his email, and all of a sudden just the servant says, all your cattle are dead. Then someone says, the fire of God has fallen. And, and then someone else comes in and says, oh, your, all your camels are stolen. The whole parking lot has been cleared. And then as soon as, and then yet another servant runs in, verse 18 says, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. Whoa. You know, one thing to lose all your stuff is another thing to find out all your children die in a moment. And so... Here's Job that in one moment, I mean, how long does it take to read verse 13 through 19? One minute, two minutes? And in one to two minutes of time, Job has to grip the reality that he has lost everything he owns and all his children. You know, um, this would be the definition of a tragedy. Notice how Job responded to a tragedy. Look what it says in verse number 20. I like, I like his response. It says in verse 20, then Job arose. Notice what it says. He rent his mantle and shaved his head. You say, well, what in, the, what in the world was that? Why in the world would someone do that? That's because when you, were, when you were in an absolute state of grief, what they would do is they would take their clothes, they would rip them in two, and then they would, take, uh, they would sometimes take ashes, and they would put them on their heads, or they would shave their heads. And it was, those were signs that you were grieving. You know, today, if you wanted to show people you were grieving, 
you'd wear black. That's just what we do today. It's maybe not as drastic as ripping your clothes apart and cutting all your hair off of your head. But those were the signs of grief back then. In other words, his first reaction was grief. Can I tell you something, folks? When tragedy hits, it's okay to grieve. It's supposed to happen. Those things are supposed to hurt. Job grieved because it hurt. Notice this too, that in the midst of hurt, it says in verse number, verse number 20, it says, then he fell down on the ground and worshipped. So you know, in the midst of grief, he didn't forget God. Sometimes it's grief that um, makes us say, you know, sometimes I've seen people who grieve, and I understand there is a grieving process, but sometimes people take grief and almost abandon the Lord, abandon God's house, stay away sometimes years and years and years. And, and listen, I don't, want to try to, I, I don't want to try to say I understand every level of grief that someone goes through in a tragedy, but I'll tell you this, Job lost a lot, and one of the things he did not neglect was worship because he said, I need God. Now more than ever, I need my Lord. And so he says in verse 20 that he fell on the ground and he worshipped and, res- and responded in this grief and worship, but also he responded not only with worship, but he responded with grief, worship, and trust. Verse 21, Job said, look at, this, look at this statement of trust. Verse 21, Job says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. I mean, he says, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to go out of this world with nothing. Verse 21, he said, the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what Job recognized is that every dollar he had been given, every animal that he had acquired, every child that his wife had born, you know what he realized? They were all given to him by God, which means this, God owned it all. You know, we often forget um, God owns our stuff. I know I forget that. I like my name on the title. <laughs> I like to see that I own it. I like to see something that, uh, that I own where I owe no debt on, that it's mine. You know, my, um, our truck and trailer out there, those things are paid for. I try to avoid debt at all costs. I say that. <laughs> I bought a house this year, so I'm in debt for a while. But, uh, you know, well, no, it's an investment. I get it. I get it. It's an investment. But, uh, you know, it's the idea that I like to own stuff. I don't like to rent stuff. I don't like, uh, you know, I like to avoid borrowing stuff if I can. I like to actually own things. And, you know, uh, oftentimes us Americans, we get a death grip on our stuff. And on our kids. And, um, you know, sometimes we think, you know, the best place, smartest place for them to be is not too far away from me so that, you know, they grow up and they don't move too far away. That way I can always keep an eye on them. Friends, your God keeps a better eye on them than you do. And uh, it's, it's been said, and it's a wise saying, that your children are safer being halfway around the, will, uh, around the world and in the will of God than being just down the road and out of the will of God. You know, I've met, uh, you know, I only have toddlers, but I've met way too many adults that have set that with grieved hearts that would say, I wouldn't care, that basically would say, I wouldn't care if my child was far away from me if they would actually serve God. Some people had their children right where they could kind of keep them and control them and have, you know, be able to see them and, and be able to see all the, you know, see their kids, see grandkids. It's like, this is right where they need to be. But they're not, but their hearts are so far from God. I'll tell you what, I've, I've met some, so many parents that say, you know what, my kids are over here. We only see grandkids once a year over here. They're over here, but they're serving God. They love the Lord. 
Lord. They're in church. It's all, you know, they, and they're just so excited that they're serving and pleasing God. You know what um, Job had to realize was that my kids don't belong to me. That they're God's. If God wants to put them here, that's fine. If God wants to send them there, that's fine. If God wants them to come to heaven, that's fine. And that was something that Job had to come to grips with. And he said, you know, these kids, the stuff wasn't mine anyway. So if God, God gave them to me anyway, borrowed from him, so if he wants to take them back, he can. You know, you ever borrow something from someone? You ever borrowed it and then, um, you ever, can you imagine a situation where you loan, maybe you loan something, a tool to someone else, and then when you come and say, hey, listen, I'm going to be doing some work in my, in, on my house uh, this next week, I need to get my tool back, you know, you've had it for a year and a half, I need to, uh, you know, get it back now, and they said, that's mine. Uh, and you say, um, well, that has, well, let's look at it together, there is my name right there on it. See that? Yeah, that's, that's my name. Here's my ID. That's my name. That's my tool. And they say, they say no, it's mine. <laughs> you know, well, uh, well, let's, uh, let's call the judge, you know, and uh, I will see you in court, you know, uh, especially if it's expensive enough. And, um, you know, why? Because, you know, if it's our stuff, you don't want someone taking stuff that they borrowed it from you. Folks, all that we own is borrowed from God. And Job had to come to grips with that and trust God on these things. And he said, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, there uh, was a day when... It says again, the sons of God, there's those angelic beings, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Here we go again. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan gives a sarcastic response again, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And verse 3, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Almost like, were you trying to tempt him at all? It's almost the idea of the Lord, you can almost hear the Lord saying it with the idea of, were you trying to tempt him? Because it wasn't working. He's the real deal. He glorifies me because he loves me. Do you know what's happening up here in heaven right now? God is receiving glory from Job's life. He's receiving glory in front of his adversary. And the Bible says, uh, he says, There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He'll curse thee to, his fate, to thy face. So Satan says, okay, well, the one thing you didn't let me do last time was you didn't let me actually injure him. Satan says, let me hurt his body. And Satan says, you'll find out he's fake. He'll curse you. And so verse number six, uh, verse number six, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thy hand, but save his life. In other words, you can't kill him. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, verse seven, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. <clears throat> so what was he saying there? So the idea is, Satan puts boils. You know, we don't know exactly what the disease is, but whatever it was, it was, you know, a boil is, uh, is a tender, oftentimes open wound. And he says it covered him, it says, from the, from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, from his soul to his crown. In other words, there was not a single spot on his body where he was not hurting. Have you ever been there? Where there's, not a single, where there's not a single spot on your body that doesn't hurt? 
where you try to get in a more comfortable position and you find out that's worse than the first one? That's where Job was. Bottom of his feet to the top of his head. In other words, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you have an injury or you have a disease or, or an illness, something, and you say, well, at least with uh, my injury, at least I feel okay when I'm standing. It's when I lay down that it's horrible. At least there's a position you can get in where the pain isn't so bad. Maybe you say, well, at least if I lay flat on, flat on my back, then I feel okay. At least you have a position where you feel okay. Job had no position where he felt okay. This is how badly he hurt. And verse number um. Verse number uh, 9 says, Then said his wife unto him, <clears throat> Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. This was exactly what Satan wanted Job to do, to curse God and die. How scary, how sad that this, this woman, well, this woman when her husband was at his lowest point, it should have been an encouragement, and said, We'll make it. Remember, God was good before. He'll be good. He's still being good now. Instead, she says, why don't you just curse God? And you know what Job says to her in verse number, um, verse number 10? This is probably, probably not a verse that they use in a lot of marriage counseling of how to deal uh, when you have some like marital issues. Verse 10, Job said to her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Ooh, he just said, wife, you sound like a fool. Guys, don't use that one, okay? Whether it's true or not, don't use that one, okay? Don't use that line. But Job said, you are speaking like a fool. Because he said, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In other words, Job says, isn't God allowed to give us good things and bad things? It's almost like Job's saying, we've had good things for so long. We're so used to it. Job says, isn't God allowed to give us some evil things as well? But in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So, so but, but let's just face it. Job was miserable. Job chap- Look at Job chapter 3, verse number 3. It said, this is Job speaking. He said, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said there was a man child conceived. So in other words, Job, you want to know how much Job hurt, how depressed he was, how sad he was? He said... I wish I had never been born. Now, if you've ever like worked with counseling, maybe you worked in a high school, then you would know this, that one of the signs that someone is thinking suicidal thoughts is what? They talk about, I wish I'd never been born. You know that Job may have been suicidal as well? That's how sad, that's how pained he was, that's how depressed he got. You know, it's, it was one thing, <clears throat> you know, right here at the beginning in chapter 2, you know, he had, you know, there was strength, there was, um, there was a hope, you know, that, okay, maybe this is just for a time. But as the days wore on, the Bible says he became sad, depressed, even suicidal. Well, of course, you may know this, that his, um, he had these three friends that came along and uh, were trying to be a help to him and uh, they're uh, and so they're help to him i summarize it up in job chapter 8 verse number 6 there's their um their analysis of job in this whole situation was if thou wert pure and upright then now uh, surely god now god would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous in other words they said job you know the whole reason why you're having such problems is because there is sin in your life and you need to get right with god and in job chapter 10 this summarizes all of Job's responses. Job chapter 10, verse number 6. Job says that thou, thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin. Thou knowest I am not wicked. 
So Job says, you guys, you know that I hadn't done anything wrong. Folks, those two verses summarize chapter 3 all the way up to chapter 33, okay? So you could really summarize it with just those two verses. But then there was another friend who comes up in Job 34, and, and, uh, but Job is really struggling here, and uh, he really is struggling. He's not doing any of these sins. Job 31 tells us that you know, he wasn't cheating on his wife. He wasn't uh, stealing to get his money. But what was his problem? Was there a problem with Job? If there was one, um, Elihu brings it out in Job 34 and verse number 5, Elihu says, Job hath said, I am righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. So Elihu says, Job, you know what your problem is? You keep saying, I'm righteous, and God has taken away my judgment. Now what's the word judgment there mean? Ready for this? The word judgment means justice or fairness. In other words, Elihu says, you know what your problem is, Job? Oh, I know you haven't, you haven't cheated on your wife as you told us in verse chapter 31. You haven't been stealing money as you told us in chapter 31. Elihu, in essence, says, you know what your problem is, Job? You think God's not being fair. I wonder if that describes you. Sure, you know, you, um, maybe you have tragedy happen in your life and you, uh, you, know, you don't get all of a sudden, you don't, get, um, uh, you don't go out and do a bunch of terrible things, you know, tragedy hits, you don't go out and get drunk, you don't go out and, uh, and uh, you know, start cursing people out, you don't go out and, and uh, try to injure somebody, sure you don't do that, but maybe you've questioned, is God really fair to me? That's where Job was. And that's what he wondered. Is God still good? Is God still in control? Is God being fair? And you know what God does? It's really interesting. His response to Job is in Job uh, chapter 38. And it says in chapter 38 that here's God who's been silent since chapter number 2. And in chapter 38 it says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That's an interesting little prepositional phrase. Out of the whirlwind. So all of a sudden, Job is sitting, he's depressed, feeling sorry for himself, and he looks up. You know, life couldn't be any worse, right? And then he looks up and oh, oh tornado. You know, whirlwind. Okay, there's a tornado here now. And uh, what is this? Well, the, the tornado was there as a part, uh, was there as a part of God's presence. And the Lord spoke to Job out of the tornado, the whirlwind, and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel without, by words without knowledge? In other words, he says, why are you speaking and trying to give counsel on the situation and you don't know all the facts? You know, when you're, um, when you're counseling, I'll tell you this, when you're counseling, one of the things I do when, I'm trying to count, when someone wants counseling is I try to get that person to talk as long as they'll talk. You know, sometimes we like to jump in and, oh, I, I thought of a solution. And we jump in and just give our advice. You know, one of the best things you can do if you're trying to help someone out is not give them the first advice that comes to your mind is to let them talk until they won't talk anymore. That's one of the best things you can do. You know why? Usually they'll tell something they weren't meaning to. But usually it's something that'll help you help them. And you know what, uh, and so it's because sometimes we'll answer something and not know all the facts in a counseling situation, or trying to give advice in a situation. And so God says to Job, who are you that's trying to give counsel when you don't know all the facts? You don't know all of what's going on. You ever think about this? Job did not know what was going on in the heavenly realm. Job did not know that there had been a conversation between Satan and God. Job did not know that God's 
glory was at stake in the heavenly places. Job did not know these things. And so, in essence, God says, you don't know the whole story of what's going on here. That there's a bigger plan, there's a bigger picture than what you know about. So verse 3, instead of giving him an explanation, God asks Job a series of questions. So God says to Job in chapter 38, verse 3, Gird up now thy loins like a man, and I'll demand of thee, answer thou me. So God says, answer my questions. What questions? God says, where were you? Verse 4, when I laid the foundations of the earth, declare, if thou hast understanding. In other words, he says, hey, um, Job, where were you when I built the planet? Isn't that a good question? You ever try to process through your mind how God could make matter through audible through an through through basically his his voice that the, the voice of god could create physical matter out of nothing you, know, you, you think about that too long you'll blow your brain and god says where were you when i was building the planet and in essence what kind of the the back question behind that it's almost like god is saying can you do this can you build a planet by just speaking and in essence god is saying you can't i can i'm that powerful so in essence it's like god is saying trust me I know what I'm doing. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. He goes on and on, gives more and more. He says, um, where were you when the morning stars sang together? Did you know on the creation morning there was a song and the song was sung by the stars? Whoa. And God says, can you make stars sing? God says, I can, which means I'm all powerful. Trust me on this one. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me on this one. He goes down, asks, you know, have you walked on the bottom of the ocean? Have you, uh, can you send lightning bolts where you want them to be? Can you make, um, uh, can you make uh, stars? Can you make um, constellations? And Job is just overwhelmed, finally, with realizing the all power of God. And in, and in chapter 42, verse number 6, Job says, chapter 42, verse 6, after hearing all these things about the power of God, Job says, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What was he repenting of? He was repenting of the fact that he didn't trust that God was being fair. He got right with God about it. That's all. It wasn't like he had to get right with God about the way he treated his wife or, or the things that he was, um, or, or maybe stealing or something like that. He just had to come, come to God and say, God, forgive me for not thinking that you were fair. And you know the Bible says, in verse number 12, Job 42, verse 12, it says, The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. And, and so God gives him back all this wealth and doubles it. Now listen, I'm not saying that if you go through tragedy and trust God, that God's going to double whatever you had. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God did this in this particular situation. I love this. It says in the, uh, he also had seven sons and three daughters. I think it's very interesting that uh, God made Mrs. Job have 10 more kids. Like, oh, oh, you want to tell your husband to curse God and die? 10 more kids. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that was part of a punishment on her, a blessing on Job, punishment on her. But whatever it was, you know, um, so God took care of Job. He knew the end from the beginning. And so when tragedy strikes, folks, do what Job did. Worship, grieve, worship, and trust. And you know, when he was finally came to the end of it, in essence, Job had to say to God, you know, God, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you because you are all powerful. You know, it's nice to have what I like to call inside information of what's going on. You know, Job never got to see any of this stuff. 
Here, but here's you and me. We know a little bit of what goes on in the heavenly realms. We know a little bit about the, about the, uh, the conversations that go on there. We don't know all of it, but apparently there's some neat stuff that goes on that we just don't understand. But know this, is that when tragedy comes, God has a plan. And if he can build, if he can build a planet, if he can make stars sing, if he can walk the bottoms of the ocean, if he can send lightning bolts to precise places, if he can mark the spots where the tide is going to come in, then trust him, he knows what's going on in your life too. Did you know we could get through the book of Job in one Sunday school hour? <laughs> I, was gonna, I didn't want to tell you at the beginning that's what would happen because I thought you might panic. But what a great, what a great hope that this is, what, this is our God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, um, uh, for all that you do in our uh, lives, how you protect through tragedy. I pray that you would encourage the hearts, Lord, of those who are dealing with tragedy. It's, it's easy to talk while you're not in one. Lord, help us to praise you and trust you while in tragedy, when coming out, before going in. Just help us to stay reliant upon you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you are dismissed. Church service.